You're listening to the Brooks Snow Podcast, conversations to help you look forward with faith, faith in yourself, faith in God, and faith in your own mission and purpose. I'm your host, Brooke Snow. You have episode 58, Creating Solitude. Solitude can mean different things to different people. In this episode, we give a few definitions to help clarify what it means to have true solitude. Now, you don't have to leave your home and be a hermit in the woods to find it. Though ironically, we are going to learn a big lesson from a man named Henry David Thoreau, who did just that. If you've ever struggled with anxiety, stress, overwhelm, or many of the other effects of living in a constantly connected world, we're going to learn a few tiny practices that can give you the solitude akin to living in the woods without actually having to miss out on all of the other parts of life to benefit. Win, win. (laughs) Let's get into it. If you enjoy this podcast, I know you would love my book, Living in Your True Identity. It's available on Amazon and filled with 21 tools to help you live life as the best version of yourself. Thank you to all of you who have left a review for this podcast or you've shared it with a friend. As you may know, I'm not active on social media. This is a deliberate choice that helps me have the creativity and the focus to make this podcast the best that it can be. So the only way this podcast grows is by word of mouth. It's by you. Thank you so much for taking the time to share this with your friends and support this effort. I love you for it. Today's review of the week comes from C Sedge 82. She says, I'm a new fan of Brooke Snow, so I haven't listened to every episode yet, but her podcast has changed me for the better in just a few weeks. The past 15 years, I've been a stay at home mom. And last year, my youngest started all day kindergarten. After being solely a mother and taking care of my children's needs for so long, I felt lost and had no idea what to do with myself each day my kids were at school. That being said, it was a very lonely year. This fall, I stumbled upon Brooke's podcast and it's completely changed my life. I'm working on finding myself again, loving myself and being kind and treating myself with respect. I'm feeling more confident, and after listening to her episode on Finding Your Life Purpose, which I loved, I learned a lot about myself that I think I've always known deep down, but I've never really acted on until now. Thank you so much, Brooke, for sharing your testimony, your love for life, and your knowledge to be and do better. It's been a challenge to change some old habits in my life and to start healthier ones, but it has helped me gain so much more perspective in what I'm supposed to be doing with my life given me more confidence in myself and has helped me to focus on keeping meaningful relationships with those I cherish most as well. You are an answer to my prayers. Seasedge82. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for the review. Seasonal changes in our life, like you describe, this is a big deal and it can absolutely rock our identity. I love that you have listened to your own promptings for finding your life purpose and how that relates to those meaningful relationships in your life. When all is said and done, our purpose, even though it's individual and even though it's unique to each of us, our purpose always connects to those relationships and being of greatest service to others. I love that you're finding ways to make that happen. Those of you listening, if you haven't listened to the Finding Your Purpose episode, I'll link to that one in the show notes. I've received a ton of feedback from the things that we discuss in that episode alone. If you want to be the reviewer of the week, please leave me a five-star review in iTunes and share your favorite takeaway so far, your ratings and your reviews and your shares. This is what makes this podcast possible. So thank you so much for listening and for sharing. 
Okay, friends, last week we talked about the mind of the world, particularly how that relates to our negative thoughts and also our constant connectivity. In this episode, I hope to present a solution. It's called solitude. (laughs) We're going to talk about what solitude is and how you can get more of it. So to begin, I want you to raise your hand if you have ever struggled with anxiety. How about depression? Comparison? Negative thoughts? Overwhelm? Feeling stuck? How about feeling disconnected to yourself or God or your family? Raise your hand if you've ever had a hard time quieting your mind or feeling confident in your own sense of intuition or your ability to receive revelation. Have you ever struggled with a problem that you really wish you could find some direction on, but you didn't know what to do? Have you ever longed to have a little more inner peace and the ability to be a better leader as a parent or spouse or a friend? If you've ever struggled with any of these things, then hooray, you're human. (laughs) I am excited to speak today on a solution that I believe can address every single one of these problems in one way or another. And what's the solution? Solitude. Now, before anyone assumes that solitude requires a life as a hermit in the woods, I love the definition that Raymond Kethledge and Michael Irwin tell us in their book, Lead Yourself First. They say, solitude is a state of mind, a space where you can focus on your own thoughts without distraction, with a power to bring mind and soul together in clear-eyed conviction. Oh, that is such a good definition. (laughs) And according to this definition, solitude is your mental state. You can be in solitude on the bus or in a crowded room if your mental state is one of peace and order. Or you could be in the woods by yourself, but if your mind is buzzing with anxious thoughts, then you don't have true solitude. Solitude starts in the mind. And according to Cal Newport, author of one of my favorite books, Digital Minimalism, His technical definition of solitude is freedom from input from other minds. Let's read that one again, because this one is especially important for our world. Solitude is freedom from input from other minds. We connect to the minds of other people anytime we text, listen to podcasts, go online, talk on the phone, read a book have a conversation with another person, watch a show, listen to music, or any other myriad of ways that the glory of the 21st century provides. Now, while all of these things are amazing ways to connect or give and receive communication and information, a constant stream of inputs is not what we as humans were designed to experience. Inputs require a response. And whether that response is literally responding to a text message or phone call or conversation, or maybe the response is simply making a mental judgment about the information you've consumed, regardless, it puts us into response mode, which is also called fight or flight mode. 
Our automatic nervous system has two parts. You have your sympathetic nervous system, and this is your fight or flight mode. This mode supports you in being able to respond to danger or threat, or in the case of today where we may not be running away from a tiger, this mode helps us respond to anything that calls us to act. Now to balance this, we have another part of our automatic nervous system. It's called the parasympathetic nervous system. This mode is our rest and digest mode. This is your calm place. <laughs> this part of the nervous system aids you in processing or digesting. Now, whether that's digesting food in our bodies, or this is going to be a new way for some of us to think about this, or processing and digesting information, emotions, or thoughts in our mind. Imagine what would happen if our physical bodies stopped digesting our food. Oh my, <laughs> we would start to feel sick and bloated. And yet when our mental and emotional bodies are not given space for digesting our thoughts and feelings, we also suffer consequences. Anxiety, depression, stress, feeling stuck, impatience, short tempers, frustration, irritability, brain fog, and so much more. It becomes imperative that we seek for solitude each day to offer ourselves the mental rest and digestion that we need to meet life's challenges at our optimal best. Having pockets of time each day when you are not connected to the mind of the world helps balance all the stimulation and inputs that you receive all day long. Now, you may be familiar with the story of Henry David Thoreau and his experiment of living at Walden Pond. Even though I've never read his book, I've heard about Walden Pond for much of my adult life. And always, I instantly imagine this 19th century philosopher in his cabin in the woods writing about how much better his life is after seeking complete solitude. It wasn't until reading Digital Minimalism that I gained a bigger picture of what Thoreau's time there really looked like. This is what Cal Newport says. Thoreau's cabin, it turns out, was not in the woods, but in a clearing near the woods that was in sight of a well-traveled public road. Thoreau was only a 30-minute walk from his hometown of Concord, where he returned regularly for meals and social calls. Friends and family visited him constantly at his cabin, and Walden Pond was then, as it remains today, a popular destination for tourists seeking a nice walk or swim. Many critics have discredited Thoreau's philosophy on solitude because of this mixture of solitude and companionship. But Thoreau wasn't trying to hide anything. It was, in some sense, the whole point. Thoreau's intention was not to inhabit a wilderness, he writes, but to find wildness in a suburban setting. Close quote. Thoreau had no interest in complete disconnection. Rather, he sought the ability to move back and forth between a state of solitude and a state of connection. 
He valued time alone with his thoughts, but he also valued companionship and intellectual stimulation. Oh, wow. (laughs) Personally, I hear about Thoreau's true experience at Walden Pond, and it sounds awesome. A little retreat that's set apart, but not isolated from everyday life. He can walk to town for dinner or socialize with his friends. He can receive visitors and guests to his cabin, and he can even see people traveling on the road. But he can also be totally alone and enjoy the subtle beauties of nature and reflect on philosophical thought. Ah, this sounds like a great balance. Last week in our episode, Mind of the World, we talked about the definition of living in the world, but not of the world. The dictionary defines in as being within boundaries. The dictionary defines of as your origin. When we are of the world, it's where we live. It's what holds our attention. It's where we originate from. This is where we spend our time and our attention. When we live in the world, we have boundaries. I love to think of this with the imagery of Thoreau's cabin. It's within boundaries of everyday town life, but he himself doesn't live in the town. He's not of the town. He still visits and he mingles and he receives guests at his own house, but his home and his life is set apart. There's this lovely balance between connecting with others and enjoying solitude to himself. If we keep Cal Newport's definition of solitude as freedom from inputs from other minds, when do you experience those moments? Do you have moments that are free from inputs? Or do you wake up and immediately look at your phone and start a full day of reacting or consuming information or things or books or podcasts or whatever? and get one last really quick glance at the phone just to see if you missed anything before you get into bed. I speak with humility on this topic because I have lived the life of constant connection. Even after I left social media, I soon found that in some ways I replaced my social media time with other connecting activities. Maybe that was listening to podcasts or browsing Amazon or texting or voxing my friends. I simply went from filling time one way to filling time another. And though those new ways of filling time still felt better for me than being on social media, it was still connection to other inputs. It was still connecting to other minds. True solitude is freedom from inputs. It's the unplugged boring, quiet, low stimulation stillness. And in this solitude state, really remarkable things can happen. You hear your own voice and intuition. You hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. You process emotions and thoughts that may have bothered you. You let go of the stories that you've been telling yourself and start to see things as they really are. You rest and digest on every level, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. 
Does this sound like a necessary component to your day? <laughs> Does it sound like a good anecdote to the buzzing, reactive, and anxious fight or flight mode that constant connection puts us in? So how does one go about creating solitude in this always connected world that we live in? Cal Newport shares a few solitude practices in his book, and I practice all of them in one form or another. I'm excited to share a few of these with you. First, leave your phone at home. <laughs> yes, I know, gasp. Yet humanity did survive for thousands of years before us, leaving home without a phone. <laughs> Now, I don't always leave my phone at home, but I do a whole lot more than the average American. Second is solitude walks. Just as it sounds, this means going on a walk in nature and you leave your phone at home. <laughs> now it's double bonus because you get to be outside in nature for the pure joy of walking and you aren't plugged in or distracted. Cal cites all sorts of amazing world leaders and philosophers who swear by the practice of solitude walks. He even confesses that he's been so committed to the practice of solitude walks that he even went walking in the middle of a hurricane, <laughs> which, as he writes, upon second thought, was probably not the best idea. <laughs> now, when I first read about solitude walks in Cal's book, I immediately started practicing it myself. Now, granted, I already love solitude walks, but it certainly wasn't a daily thing for me. Now I make time every morning and I go on a solitude run, unplugged. Some of the most amazing ideas and revelation have come from those moments. And while not every day brings me a breakthrough idea, every day does ground me with clarity, gratitude, and peace. Worth the sacrifice already. The final practice I'd like to share for solitude is intermittent fasting. You're likely familiar with this term as it relates to eating food. Intermittent fasting with food means that you have a window of time that you eat food during the day and you have a window of time that you fast from food. I practice this with solitude. 9 p.m. until 8 a.m. is my fasting window. This means my phone is charging downstairs in my office at 9 p.m. and I'm done for the day. I don't connect with the world again before 8 a.m. the next day. That's 11 hours and most of those hours are sleeping. <laughs> Despite that, you'd be surprised how hard this practice can be in the beginning. I've had to truly work my way into it and practice it. I'm still not perfect, but I have come a long way from where I was before and happily, since I've created solitude as part of my daily practice, I have seen improvement in my sleep, my energy, my confidence, my peace, my ability to process thoughts and emotions, and my ability to receive revelation. It is amazing. This is one of those daily practices that we work on implementing in my mentoring program. And I have seen amazing changes happen in the lives of those who implement it. Now, changing things up in this area for some can be tricky. And the first place that we start in my mentoring program is to charge your phone somewhere other than the bedroom and use a regular alarm clock. Even if your solitude window is screen-free five minutes before bed and five minutes after waking up because your phone is in a different room, 
this is an amazing place to start and you can work up from there. We need moments to rest and digest, not occasionally, but every day. It's part of a balanced and healthy lifestyle. Seeking stillness is a principle that has been taught in the scriptures since the Old Testament times. In Psalms 46.10, we read these famous words. Be still and know that I am God. It was common for prophets and even the Lord himself to seek solitude in order to fully hear the voice of God in their life. Scattered here and there in the New Testament account, we find these little moments of Jesus taking a moment to be alone. Even at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days. I'm sure he's fasting from food, but also consider being alone in the wilderness. He is fasting from the mind of the world, inputs from other people. He's beginning his ministry. His ministry embodies who he truly is and why he's here. It's his whole purpose. To prepare, he takes solitude to himself in the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days. Moses, too, finds God at the top of the mountain. Now, God can certainly speak to us in our room at home. I find it interesting, though, that the prophets in the scriptures regularly practice solitude walks to commune with God. They set themselves apart from the world so they can fully hear the will of God in their life. They're not so apart from the world that they're isolated, just like Thoreau's cabin. They're close enough to see what is happening in the world around them. They mingle with others, but they don't live there. They live within boundaries that will provide and protect their spiritual mental and emotional state to have clarity on what is true and what God's word is to them. We can do the same. What would your life be like with a little more solitude? Would it be better? Would you have more peace of mind? Would you have more clarity in your thoughts? Would you have less anxiety? Would you better digest the thoughts and emotions that come with everyday life? Would you hear your own voice more clearly? Would you hear the still small voice more clearly? Would you feel calmer and happier? Would you have better perspective on your circumstances? Would you know what was true and what was false in the stories that you tell yourself? Creating solitude is worth the sacrifice. It is worth the fear of missing out. I promise you with my whole heart, there is far more to gain than there is to lose. Imagine yourself living in the world, but not of the world by creating boundaries of solitude and look forward with faith. Do you listen to these episodes and love what you hear and wonder where to start? I invite you to take my Christian meditation 40 day challenge course. Meditation is my most important practice of the day, and I use it for so many things, including creating solitude. This practice has completely changed my life, but the key is consistency. That's why I love that this is a 40-day challenge. The challenge is to do it for 40 consecutive days. 
Starting a new habit, and even more so being consistent with it can be tricky. This is why I offer every student a free buddy pass, allowing you to handpick your own friend or family member to take the course with you. You get your own accountability partner and you both do the challenge together. Two people start a new empowering practice instead of just one. If this is calling out to you, I invite you to register at the link in the show notes or find it on my website at brooksnow.com. You can do this. I am cheering you on.